Hello, and welcome to Modern Animism. I am your podcast host, Sarah Jane, and in this episode, we'll be looking at the Eastern forms of animism, specifically the Mu and Wu cultures, which have origins going back 8,000 years. We understand that all these different animist traditions are part of the same general lineage, and looking at Mu culture will help to explain how many of the animist practices have evolved from one shared history. Physical archaeological evidence has placed Mu culture back as far as the Neolithic era. Symbols, idols and paraphernalia found in archaeological digs dating back this era have still been found in present use. Symbols found on women's clothes and grave goods and jewellery suggest that it was the women who were most important in the Neolithic period and were the ones who entrusted to deliver religious practices such as healing and divination in this period. On the opening page of the podcast, you can read the word Mu as it was written in Bronze Age oracle script drawn as a pair of crossed bones. The oracle bone script was most widely utilised in the early 13th century BCE and most of our evidence has been gathered from there but the actual practice has been dated back to the Neolithic period 660-00 BCE and this has proven to be the oldest written language in the world. So that's almost 9,000 years ago that we're finding this oracle script in use. Is most probably the script was written on lots of materials and these other materials haven't survived. But the language is very well developed and comprehensive so it makes sense that it was widely utilised. It was written on bones for the purpose of divination and because of this evidence the script came to be known as oracle script because they found it in conjunction with oracles and prophecies. The scripts appear as prayers for good crops or for divination to foresee forthcoming auspicious events up to 10 days in advance. It records childbirth practices, sickness dreams and advice on military campaigns. The most common evidence shows that words were carved onto ox shoulders, onto their scapular bones or alternatively turtle shells would be used as they they provided a flat surface for carving. And paint was then applied into these engravings and the engravings took the form of like pictograms. But the earlier evidence has found that prior to scapulas of oxes being used there was some um, human remains had been carved on This form of oracle reading is specific to Asia and covers a lot of cultures from Taiwan, China, Korea and Mongolia and across to Siberia. And they've all got this commonality of using the same pyrotechnic technique for oracle reading. The specific one, oracle reading, that we're investigating in this period is called scapulomancy. That is because the readings were cast on scapulas. 
the carving was carved on one side and on the other side a hot pin rod was placed into a hole that had been carved. This would cause thermal expansion and the pictograms would crack. And the readings were taken from these cracks and then carved back onto the bottom of the scapular bones to show what had been read. The word mu, which represents shaman or witch that we see written, is absolutely a representation of the two crossed bones uh, as if they'd been thrown rather than the representation of the oracle reading. But the word to divine, boo, is represented as a little tree, just a slash with a line coming off it. So the word boo in oracle script is written as a crack and is meant to imply an oracle reading. As well as the ritual being utilised across most of Asia, there's also evidence that the Mu culture has spread across the continent and beyond into European society. For whilst Wu is associated with northern China, in Korea the Mu is read as Wu. Traditionally, the womb Jew are the female practitioners, female, shaman, female witch, while the male wooists are known as Mu Wu. But these words are very similar to other words. It shows this root derivation. So in Wu becomes Bu, as Bu Jia, which is male Tibetan and practitioner of shamanism, or Bu Ju in Turkish, or Muga in Mongolian. The Wu that we see pronounced in Korea translates as Mugu, which is similar to the Mongolian Muga. Or the Mu as pronounced in Korea translates into Iranian as Muga, like the Mongolian Mugu. Muga, we'd later gain the word Maju, which then becomes Magi and becomes synonymous with the European word magician. But in Japan, the word for magic is, is muho. While other people are taking the language back in the opposite direction and they're comparing the word mu, which means female shaman, with the root word mother, because these people were from a matriarchal society and would have been living in groups of females. All the earliest practitioners of Mu were female and mythological accounts place the Mu culture and mythological accounts place the Wu cultures as being a matriarchal society women and men living separately up until 2600 BCE when the concept of the nuclear family was invented. Animistic Wu practices exist before the Egyptian pantheon, but the time period that this practice occurs crosses over the same time period as the Sumerian civilization. And these other beliefs that are operating in the same time period are more familiar and similar to our own, and the ones presently used in our society. 
the Sumerian form of religion has creation myths and the gods are deifications of nature and their relationship exists as family units and they have a male patriarchy which is very similar to what we find in Christianity and the religions that have been popular over the last 2,000 years. But the Mu culture is an older form of spirituality in which there is no explanation or attempt to understand how the world comes into being. No one tries to comprehend the natural world or find our place in it or to classify the things around us. They don't um, take phenomenon and assign them to different deities. We don't find that sense of jurisdiction that you get in patriarchal societies. And instead, the Mu culture is, is concerned with ancestor worship. So your deity is the creator of your family lineage. And this is understood by a spirituality that involves a deification of human material remains, where they're taking their ancestors and they're taking their bones and they deify these remains. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't any sense of God because your ancestors become deified after death and they specifically could take other forms such as they could become animals and also there was that sense of energy that there was different planes of existence that people were moving on into. The main lead deity is takes the form of a golden dragon and he represents the main ancestor for all of humanity. The, the gods in this period are not to refer to as gods but more they're called lords, the lord of such and such, whatever it is. Since the offerings were written in oracle script and um, to the ancestors, it is therefore possible to trace family lineages. And you get this sense of family relationships, their wealth and their prosperity through different time periods. The forces of nature that are deified in other time periods are now created by an unnamed swirling cosmic force. In fact, there is a sense of power in all matter and you get the first concept of chi, uh, qi, or energy as this raw primal power that exists in everything. When the muis stopped being a matriarchal tradition and family units became normal, normalised, that some of the traditions of Qi transform themselves into Taoist traditions. And we see that family units have remained very important throughout this period, in the sense that every family had its own traditions. And you compare that to martial arts schools or schools of Tai Chi and things like that, in that you have lineages and family traditions passing down, often kept very secret within the family. And uh, you should see this in the folk culture and folk religion as well. We don't normally ask people what folk religion they adhere to. Instead, you'd be asking them what family they belong to, because this would designate what sort of religion they belong to by where they're born. No one is actually baptised or become a specific animist 
Instead, it's just something about their community that they belong into. This is why when I look back at the other podcasts, and we look at, say, how animist is not orthodoxic, it's orthopraxic, and it's concerned with the right actions, and it takes place through community dance and ritual festivals. And that's through why it's associated a lot with movements, with the Tai Chi, with the Qigong, and all sorts of breath work, and the use of movements within the body. I personally find a lot of correlation between animism of the Muist and also with Druidism. And these are another group who are prone to carrying hewn bones around with them. They place these on the top of hillsides or make garlands of them or worship them. And they also tie them around the necks of oxen for protection. Muism, Druidism and Taoism are very similar in the way they employ ancestor worship. The Druids themselves worshipped as their main god, uh, an original ancestor and an earth god rather than the things we see in the European tradition of people who believe their gods lived at the top of Mount Olympus and they were celestial beings. It's very earthy and grounded to do with death and rebirth. And for the Mu, cross into Mongolia and Russia into the Russian shamans who were related to the Nordic Samis who came down into Germany we find the people cross the land bridge into America and they're all from this sort of northern lineage and they all deviate deviate away from this patriarchal pantheon of gods that appeared around in the Mediterranean area and this suggests to me that all these gods, that all these religions have a similar thread through them. The bronze script image of the Mu is the crossbones, which was on the front of the podcast, has been compared to the cross potent, which is utilized in heraldry since the seventh century, features on the city of Jerusalem's coat of arms and also on the Teutonic Knights coat of arms. But equally important in the last century, this cross potent, the Mu pictograph, becomes associated with fascist groups and the Fatherland Front, who were a pro-Christian conservative right-wing party that operated in Austria from 1933, and they were superseded by Nazism. And this illustrates a clear history of adoption of the mystical symbolisms by European political parties in this period. People get a way of gaining power through an association to a historic era that's perceived to be pure and unspoilt past. The sort of connection to this northern tribe they want to belong to rather than the European Indio traditions. So in my next podcast, I'm going to be looking at the utilisation of these traditional symbols. And I hope you'll join me then. And we'll be looking at this. This is part two of Modern Animism, A Convoluted Guide. And we'll look at how animism has been utilised to promote a nationalist agenda. Thank you for listening.